Okay, so today we're in lesson two, and we're going to look at the continuation of the story. We're going to see that they are in Egypt, but the situation changes, not during Joseph's generation, but afterward. And so we're going to look together at uh, some different things here about this. So let's, we're going to actually, because we're only dealing with 22 verses today, we're going to read some of these verses. So look with me at Exodus chapter 1. It's the second book of the Bible. We're going to look at, first of all, the verses 1 through 7. Now these are the names of the children of Israel who came to Egypt. Each man with his household came with Jacob, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, Benjamin, Dan, Nephtali, Gad, Asher. And all those were descendants of Jacob were 70 persons for Joseph, was in Egypt already. Now, okay, let me stop for a moment. You'll say 70, uh, 70 adult males. The list does not include, we see that in Genesis, the list doesn't include the names of the ladies or the children. And Joseph died, verse 6, and all his brothers and all that generation. But the children of Israel were fruitful and increased abundantly and multiplied and grew exceedingly mighty, and the land was filled with them. All right, so let's look first of all at verses 1 to 7. We're going to talk about those who came to Egypt. First of all, the writer lists the children and their families that accompanied Jacob to Egypt. Now, when I say children here, I meant the children of Jacob. Okay, so there's only 12 sons. Of course, one daughter, Dinah, we never hear anything more about her, but so the writer lists these children, okay? We list these children. The writer states that Joseph, his brothers, and that generation died. So Joseph dies. We know that he lived to be over 100 years old. Uh, his brothers died. They don't tell us any specific information anymore about them as far as how old they were. And then that whole generation that they were a part of, the writer wants to make a point, that that whole generation that would have any understanding of the events, of how Israel came to Egypt, about the prominence of, of Joseph and everything in the land of Egypt, that whole generation died. Okay? So you just need to realize that. Okay? That whole generation, those amount of descendants died. Now, the descendants of Israel were very fruitful and increased mightily in the land. But those, the kids, the grandkids of, and, and going on and on, they were very fruitful. That's a Bible word of saying that they had a lot of kids, okay? They had a lot of children and they increased mightily. In fact, when you think about it, when you think about that small group that went down to Egypt, and then 400 and some years later, they're over a million. Yeah, they were pretty, pretty, uh, prolific, wouldn't you say? Okay? Now, we're going to see that things changed for them. Things changed for them. I want you to look with me at verse 8 through 14. Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, look, the people of the children of Israel, are more and mightier than we. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And it happened 
in event of war, that they join our enemies and go fight against us and go up out of the land. Therefore, they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with their burdens. They built for Pharaoh's supply cities, Pithom and Ramses. But the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew. And they were in dread of the children of Israel. So the Egyptians made the children of Israel serve with rigor. And they made their lives bitter with hard bondage, in mortar, in brick, and all manners of service in the field. And all their service in which they made them serve was with rigor. Okay, so we're going to see that the people becomes enslaved. Okay, now this is going to be very interesting, and it has some bearing even with how cultures operate today. Okay, so first of all, the writer notes that a new pharaoh arose in Egypt who did not know Joseph. So, okay, so Joseph's generation dies. Maybe it's a few years later. Who knows how many years later? But a new pharaoh arises, and he doesn't even know Joseph. He doesn't know anything about Joseph. You say, how's that possible? Surely there would be history. Well, what we do know from history, human history, is, is that the pharaohs constantly changed, and they were constantly being subdued by other nations, and those nations, when they took over Egypt, their kings would become who? Pharaoh. They would take the title of Pharaoh. So obviously, somewhere along the line, whether it's through conquest or whatever, here arises a pharaoh who's over all of Egypt, and he doesn't know anything at all about Joseph. He doesn't even know how the Israelites got there. He just knows they're there, okay? And he's threatened by them, okay? He's threatened by them. Because they're pretty prolific, and they're becoming mighty, okay? They're becoming mighty. So what happens is, is it's a technical term. You might hear it on the news sometimes with reference to other nations, is xenophobia. You ever heard of that, that phrase, xenophobia? Has anybody heard that before? Okay, Nancy has. What xenophobia is, is when one group in a nation is threatened by another group in a nation and they try to eradicate them through whatever means. So for instance, do you guys remember the Rwandan genocide back 10 years or more, uh, probably more 20 years ago, in Rwanda? That was the Hutus versus... Uh, I forget what the other what other what other group was, but the Tutsis, yes, and and so the minority was threatened by the majority, and they tried to what eradicate them, and it was genocide. That's xenophobia. Xenophobia. We have the same thing happen in our country in different ways, when we are basically threatened by a group of people. So, for instance, we live in Pennsylvania. Okay. Pennsylvania, if you go back 100, 150 years ago, we had a great immigration problem to here. Guess from where? Well, Ireland, okay, yes. Italy and Germany. Did you understand what I'm saying? And so the English who were here were threatened by all of these immigrants from Europe. Do you understand what I'm saying? And of course, xenophobic activity happened back then. You just need to go back and look at history. So this is very common with cultures. This is very common with cultures when one group is threatened by another group. And maybe there's no reason for the threat. 
Okay? No reason for the threat except all of a sudden they look and see, in this instance, there's a lot of Israelis here. There's a lot of Israelites, the children of Israel. They're mightier than we are. And you're going to see the thinking of Pharaoh here in a moment. So, first of all, this Pharaoh raised the issue concerning the size of the children of Israel. So the first thing he raises up is, you know what? There's more of them than us. There's more of them than us. Okay? There's more of them than us. So that's the first issue he raises. The second issue is, is he stoked the fear that Israel would turn on Egypt in a time of war. He basically said, now if we are in battle against someone, who's to say that they won't turn against us and fight for the enemy? So he raised the whole, you could say it's a national security issue with them. Okay? National security issue. And then here's what he did. He called the Egyptians to deal shrewdly with the children of Israel. That's a nice way of saying we got to deal with this problem very harshly. We got to put them in their place. We got to make sure. So they're afraid. In fact, as you go through the text, you're going to see that they are definitely afraid. Rightfully or wrongfully, they're afraid of the, of the Israel, of the Israelites. They're afraid of the children of Israel. So here's what they do. They enslave them. They make them their slaves. So here we see basically a whole group of people. By this time, they're probably very, who knows how many they are. They're enslaved by the Egyptians. So the Egyptians set taskmasters over the Israelites so that they built cities for Pharaoh. So, for instance, folks, when you go to Egypt and you see the pyramids and you see all of the, the stone things that are there, uh, they didn't hire contractors to do that, okay? They basically enslaved people to do their will. They set taskmasters over them, and here it says they built two entire cities, okay? The city of Ramses, as well as another city. In spite of the affliction, though, this is interesting, the children of Israel continued to grow numerically. So in spite of the, all the hardship, they keep having kids. They keep growing in number, which is, I'm sure, very frustrating to the Egyptians. Okay? To the Egyptians. So the Egyptians were brutal in their oppression of Israel. They were very brutal in their oppression of Israel. Very brutal. So now that comes to the story of the Hebrew midwives. Now, usually most people don't even talk about this story as, as except with the issue of lying. How many of you have ever heard of, had a discussion about lying and then somebody brings up the Hebrew mid, midwives? You ever had that happen or know of that happening? Okay, that does happen. We'll talk about that a little bit here in a moment, okay? Because everybody knows that God hates lying, right? It's one of the six things that he hates. It's in Proverbs. But obviously we see something going on here, but God blesses them. So what is, is, is God okay with lying? So we'll talk about that here in a moment. But we're going to look at the story of the Hebrew midwives. Because remember, if you go back to the word here, he uses it twice that the Egyptians were dealing what? 
shrewdly. Now, what does that what does that word mean to you when you deal with somebody shrewdly? Okay, what does that what does that mean when I deal with you shrewdly? Let's say I'm dealing with Sam here, and my actions with I'm being very shrewd in my actions with Sam. What does that mean? What? Direct, okay. But it's more than just being direct. Wisdom, okay. But if I'm dealing shrewdly, who am I looking out for? I'm looking out for myself. Am I worried about Sam? No, 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 no. We talk about a shrewd businessman, right? You know what that is, right? Okay, somebody who's a shrewd businessman. All right. So what we're talking about here is, is that Egypt is thinking in terms of itself, not in terms of this people that are in their midst called Israel, and they're dealing very shrewdly with them for their own good, for their own benefit, and actually for the detriment of who? Israel, okay? For the detriment of the children of Israel. So let's take a look at this whole issue of the Hebrew midwives, because you're going to see that in their shrewdness, They've got to do some things. So first of all, remember, they thought we could deal with them by making them our slaves and oppressing them. But here's the problem. They still keep having what? Kids. So they keep growing numerically. So now, because we're dealing shrewdly, if you're thinking like an Egyptian, we're going to have to do something about them having all these kids. Okay? We're going to have to do something about them having all these kids. So here's what they do. So let's look at the text. Verse 15 through the end of the chapter. So the king of Egypt spoke to the Hebrew midwives, of whom the name of one was Shipra, and the other was Pua. And he said, When you do the duties of a midwife for your Hebrew for the Hebrew women, and see them on the birth stools, if it is a son, you shall then kill him. And if it's a daughter, then you shall let, then she shall live. All right. Wow. That's interesting. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but saved the male children alive. So the king of Egypt called for the midwives and said to them, why have you done this thing? And saved the male children alive. And the midwives said to Pharaoh, because of the Hebrew women, for they are lively and give birth before the midwives come to them. Therefore, God dealt well with the midwives, and the people multiplied and grew very mightily. And so it was, because the midwives feared God, that he provided households for them. So Pharaoh commanded all his people, saying, Every son who is born shall be cast into the river, and every daughter shall be saved alive. Okay, so you're going to see some changing strategy here now. Okay, so the first thing is that we see that's happening here is, okay, because they keep growing, they got to get it under control, got to do what it takes. Because of the continued growth of Israel, Pharaoh ordered the midwives to kill the male babies. You know, their culture, which is true in a lot of cultures today, not Western cultures, but if you go 
into Asia, even South America or Africa. The person who delivers babies is not normally a doctor, because there might be one doctor for 10,000 people. Usually there is a series of midwives who that's all they do is deliver babies in the community. It's no, no different here. The Israelites had probably a series of midwives, and of course they had some sort of structure, and two of them are mentioned here that the Pharaoh meets with, and so he gives them this command. All right, listen, when you're, when they're on their birth stools, now some of you are probably wondering, like, what in the world is that? Okay. Uh, it's some sort of way in which they had their children back then by squatting. Okay. Different completely today. You know, things change a lot. So, in fact, if you think about it, think about our culture. It changes, right? It's from the time when, you know, when I was born, my dad wasn't even allowed in the room. Did you understand to when my children were born, I was there. You know, L'Oreal said I was watching TV, but I was there, okay? You know, so uh, things have changed. You, you know what I'm saying? Now there's everybody can be there, right? And it's it's nice, and you know, if you go into the go into the maternity ward of a hospital, it's it's not cold and sterile. All right. So this is obviously some method of which they had their babies back then. And so they were supposed to kill the male child when it was born. That's what they were told to do. Now, here's the greater issue, though. But the Hebrew midwives feared God and allowed the male babies to live. So they're being told to kill the babies, the male babies, but the midwives feared who? God. And so because of that, they let the male children die. I mean, excuse me, they let the male children live, okay? Which creates another problem. So they're, they're still growing, okay? They're still children who are there. So Pharaoh confronts the midwife. So he's, he's probably, maybe he had some kind of strategy session. I can't picture that the king is sitting around wondering, uh, are they killing the babies or not? So probably he's figuring out that the population isn't decreasing. It's continuing to grow. And so he calls in the midwives and he confronts them about what's going on. So he confronts the midwives about saving the male babies. So this is where it gets kind of hairy with some folks. Because they look at the midwife's answer and they say, oh, well, they lied. They lied. <clears throat> well, let's take a look at how they respond. So the midwives state that the Hebrew women gave birth before they arrived to deliver the babies. Notice what they say. You know, you know hey, king, Hebrew women are totally different than your Egyptian women. They're more lively. That's quite a term, isn't it? They're more lively. So they have their babies way before we get there. Okay? They have their babies way before we get there. And so therefore, you know, there's nothing we can do. Now, there may be some truth to what they're saying. So this is not necessarily a flat-out lie. Okay? It may be because everybody knows, would you, first of all, would, if, do you think the order for the midwives to kill the male children, would that be a secret? No, everybody would know that, right? Okay, so probably what's happening here is 
even if they're there for the birth process, they might be not seeing, maybe it's being taken away immediately and hidden. Or they're not calling the midwives until later. Do you, do you understand? But the problem is, they're saying to the king, we, they're having them before we get there. Maybe they are lying. Okay? Maybe they are lying. But here's the point. God bestowed mercy on the midwives for their actions. God bestowed mercy on the midwives for their actions. Now, the question is, all right, so this is where it becomes the ethical dilemma. We know that God hates lying, but here he seems to be blessing lying. What gives? Does that answer your answer into your mind? That enters into my mind. What gives? Why would God say it's okay in this instance to lie? Well, I think because there's a greater issue here, and that is the death and the murder of what? These children. Do you understand what I'm saying? So God, it's not that he doesn't stop hate, hating lying, it's that he allows, in this instance, for lying to take place, for the greater issue to be dealt with. And we see that the Hebrew midwives are blessed. Now, it says that they're giving households. Now, what does that mean? Well, it means that they were allowed to have children, and they were allowed to have homes to take care of it. That's what it's talking about. God blessed them for their faithfulness. In fact, God also blessed the Israelites by allowing them to multiply greatly. So here's the problem. Even with this rule, guess what's happening? The Hebrew women and are having more and more babies, so they keep growing. So now the king's got to do something else. So he's going to take it one step further. And what you see in the next verse, verse 22, is that he's eliminating the Hebrew midwives. Okay? He's eliminating them now. Because before, they had the responsibility of what? Killing the male children. Now, with the next law, what we're going to see here is the next law about this issue, he's actually taking it out of their hands and he's making everybody responsible to make sure this happens. And so here's what he says. Pharaoh ordered that the male babies be cast into the river while the female babies are saved. So now, Pharaoh says, okay, I can't trust these midwives. That's not working. Basically, I'm going to tell everybody, you have a male baby, you throw it in the river. What river is that? The Nile. For it to drown or to be eaten by crocodiles. So basically, he's saying, everybody now is responsible. We're not going to have any more Hebrew male boys born. Okay? Not going to have any more Hebrew male boys born. Now, it's interesting, when we get to the next chapter, we're going to see that there is a baby born by the name of Moses. Okay? That's what we're going to talk about here from here on out. Now, Moses' mother, when she puts him in the river, what does she do? She puts him in a what? Basket. Now, was she disobeying the law? Not necessarily. Well, maybe she threw the basket in the river, Bruce. Okay? You know, maybe it was just a little oosh. You know what I'm saying? I mean, so she's obeying the law, but she's making sure that the baby, what, doesn't drown. Okay? So we're seeing that. We'll see that the next week when we look at it.